Welcome back to another episode of the 20 Plus Podcast. This is Pastor Logan with 20 Plus from River Valley Church in the Twin Cities area. Super excited for today's episode, and I actually have a special announcement that normally we do a mashup of our three locations of culture combos, but this one is a Christmas gift to you because we're actually going to be posting all three of them. So this will be part one of three where we'll be posting all three of the conversations. First, we'll be hearing from Keith and Kristen Peterson, who are elders at River Valley. They have an amazing story of dealing with infertility, finding Christ later in their young adult life, um, how they dealt with that together, and um, just dealing with some family dysfunction of their own. And it's super encouraging. So we'll be hearing from that today. And then uh, we'll be releasing more stories from Darley and Pat Utech, who are an amazing couple from our Shockby location, who had a story that is so similar, you're going to be shocked that both their stories pretty much were exactly the same before. Um, Dara, she grew up without a mom. Pat grew up without a dad. They both had kids um, early in their, um, you know, young adult years, 18, 19 years old. And uh, they met, ended up finding Christ together. Now they have two amazing daughters, and it's just super cool to see their story. And then Pastor Allen will be hearing from as well, who has an amazing testimony and story of how he went through family dysfunction of his own, how he lived his own way in college, how God restored him, even restored um, a testimony through um, an abortion that his girlfriend had had. And now he has two amazing kids of his own, amazing family, and I was a pastor here at our church. And you're not going to want to miss those. So we'll be releasing the full audio of those at a later time. But today we'll be releasing the full conversation that we had with Keith and Kristen Peterson. Uh, we'll be jumping right into that, interviewed by Noah Gross from our East Side location. And it's an amazing testimony of dealing with infertility, of finding Jesus. Um, that you're not going to want to miss out on. So make sure to listen to the full episode. It's absolutely amazing, and we'll be releasing the full audio of the other two shortly. So we're going to dive right in. Enjoy. This month we've been talking about family dysfunction, um, grief, loss, and forgiveness. And this month our culture combo kind of wraps it all up, right? So if you give me a warm welcome to our guests, Keith and Kristen Peterson, that's here with us tonight. All right. You guys are elders of River Valley Church. Um, You've been coming here for a long time. And for people that don't know what being an elder means or kind of understand what you guys do, could you just explain that, your role in the church, how long you've been coming here, kind of the journey through that, and then um, what you guys do for a living, like everyday job? I'm Kristen, (laughs) and this is Keith. And this is really cool to be here. Thank you for having us. And I want to thank you for coming, just for being a part of 20 Plus. I applaud you. I think it's such a great choice and such a great community. And just, I just am really excited to be here. So thank you for having us. I want to feel like we're in our living room, just comfortable. Is that okay? Can you smile at me once in a while, (laughs) just so I know that we like each other? (laughs) Okay. So, um... A lot of questions that you threw at us about being an elder. I guess I will just speak to, I mean, the elder board per se is made up of Keith and others, and he'll explain that. But as a wife of an elder, we kind of consider ourselves, you know, the two have become one. And so it's my privilege as well. But I think that we we do our best to um, watch in prayer over the health of our church, over the vision that God has for our church. We pray often for our leadership, 
for areas of the ministry that God puts on our hearts. And it is our distinct privilege to be a part of this team. It, they're some of our very closest friends. We're so honored to know the people that are on River Valley's Elder Board. It's truly a blessing to serve and to, to lift them up. Um, Pastor Rob and Becca are amazing, as you probably know. Um, we're very honored to be part of the Elder Board. So I, I'll echo what Kristen said. We're delighted to be here, and uh, we just want this to be really informal. And um, I'll, just, I'll answer the question about the Elder Board. So the way our leadership structure is built, we believe it's a biblical model where there are deacons at each campus that are really servant project leaders to support and lead the ministry at each campus. And then there's an overseer board, an elder board, it's made up of four lay elders, meaning we don't work for the church. We have jobs outside the church, but our heart is to serve. And Pastor Rob is an elder, and there's four of us that are lay elders that attend various campuses. And our job really is to help Pastor Rob steward the vision. He's the leader. And uh, watch over the financial health, the relational health, and the overall growth of the church. So that's we get involved with multiple things, but I'll, I'll stop talking about that. Yeah, so obviously you guys carry a lot of wisdom and life experience and all that life is, experience as for that's sure. called we're old yeah. <laughs> the other part about being an elder is that you tend to be older I have a lot, yesterday at dinner she said you have a lot of gray hair and i said it's his crown i'm just glad to keep any hair that i still Hallelujah. have Hallelujah. So that's effective combing only does so much you know so so if you could each just talk a little bit about your life growing up things that you went through family dysfunction um troubles in the home all of that and how that how you grew up in that. Do you want to go? I'll start this time. Okay, okay so I'm, I'm the second of four kids, and um, I grew up in a very tall family. <laughs> my dad's 6'8", my brother's 6'7". I was a short, fat kid growing up at 6'5". Um, I have two sisters, two younger sisters, and an older brother. And I, we grew up in, I would call, a, re, a religious home. We were Lutheran, and I'm, there's wonderful Lutheran churches. We, we went to church. I was baptized as a baby, confirmed. I thought confirmation was graduation, like, yeah, I'm done. Um, but in my home bringing, if you asked us if we were Christians, my parents would have said yes. But we were just churchgoers. And there was some, I would say, dysfunction and some hurt. Both of my parents uh, drank. Um, they probably, I would say, were functioning alcoholics. So there was a lot of hurtful words, um, things that were said that were very damaging. Um, my brother turned to drugs as a way to cope and deal with the pain. I turned to trying to becoming a perfectionist, and that's not an answer. But I tried to perform by being a good athlete, being a good student. I, knew, I thought that if I behaved better, there'd be more love. That's kind of what I felt. My sisters, I think, both turned to seeking out boys. That was kind of their answer. None of us, um, none of us knew the Lord. My brother was the first guy to get saved in our family, and um, he's the first person that really encouraged me to let go of the pain from what my parents had done when I was a kid. I'm trying to be brief. Okay, um, I'm the baby of five children. We grew up in the same hometown of Waukesha, Wisconsin, in case we have any We actually met in seventh grade band. <laughs> uh-huh. Seventh grade. <laughs> but didn't start dating until college. That's <clears throat> crazy. There's a story there, but yeah, I'll Yeah, there's you later. a story there. Um, <laughs> all right. So as the baby of five, there was a, a wide differential between the oldest and me. There were 17 years between my brother Greg and me, and so three in between us. Um, my father died when I was seven. And Greg had just gone off to college. My sister was on her way to college. And my other two brothers were at home. My brother John 
was the middle child, and he was trying to decide which scholarship to take to play football. Um, my brother Paul was in middle school, and I was just in second grade. Um, it happened as a freak accident. I think my father had been intoxicated. They used to go to a lot of parties, and he actually um, slept walk off of a second off of a an addition to the house. So he could go out and we'd sunbathe out there when that was still a thing <laughs> and hang laundry on the line. But he um, slipped off and fell to the ground and cracked his head open and died. So, of course, an unexpected tragedy that none of us were prepared to deal with. My brother that was in a senior year in, in high school decided to go to Michigan and play football. He had a scholarship there. Um, and fortunately, someone invited him to Fellowship of Christian Athletes, FCA, and he gave his life to Jesus, having been very broken and with a lot of questions. Um, and he began to pray for the rest of us to come into relationship with Jesus. It's interesting. I might cry. <laughs> I think about, um, as a little girl, I knew that something was different in Johnny. And even you could look at old diaries that I used to keep and write. I would write things like, you know, Johnny loves God. And... I esteemed him, and I looked up to him so, so much, and still do. He's a wonderful man. Um, so I, too, like Keith. Well, could I interrupt real yes. quick? So I just I want to encourage you. If you're, if you're one of the newer people in your family that's a Christian, yeah. I don't know if you all grew up in what kind of home, but you, maybe you're the first sibling of other children in the home. Her brother got saved and then prayed for her. She didn't get saved until 23 years later, right? Because you were seven, and you yes. got saved, well, maybe 22 years, 29. He prayed for me saved. for 22 years and didn't grow weary. And I would not be sitting on this chair today. If now, now all five siblings are, are saved. Yeah, the whole family has come into relationship with Jesus. So. But it took someone inviting someone right. to a group like this. Yep. That, that, so that's a little... Right. I loved what you said when you were exhorting everybody to invite a friend to this. I mean, what an easy invite. Like, come and eat and hang out with people our age and just listen to something that's probably going to well, be not interesting. Not our age, your age. No, I meant that's what he said. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I also grew up um, in a Lutheran church, and you know, I knew that my brother loved God. I went to church. I went through confirmation and all that. And I'm thankful because my parents, my mother... Um, she used the tools that she had. She didn't know Jesus personally at that time, but she knew that it would be, let's put it this way, she knew it wouldn't hurt anybody for us to go to church every week, right? It, and so we went, and, um, and I'm thankful for that because I believe that despite the fact that I was blind to the truth, you know, I hadn't been reborn, I hadn't been born again, but this, the word of God is powerful, and it was still being invested in me, so I'm thankful for that upbringing. Um, my mother, in her pain of having lost her husband at 42 years of age and raising five kids now all on her own, um, of course, experienced a lot of trauma and hardship, and she turned very heavily to alcohol to mask her pain and her sorrow. And so life got pretty complicated as I continued to grow up. Middle school, I started to notice that her drunkenness was getting in the way of things. And in high school, it was full-out, staggering, drunk on a pretty regular basis. And so um, 
there were interventions that my family and I did to put her into treatment and things like that. Um, and it wasn't until years later, Keith and I were married, we were saved, we had our first son. I was able to lead my mom to the Lord in a very divinely orchestrated moment. She was 67 years old. So again, to Keith's point, to encourage you to continue to pray. God hears your request, and it's accordance with his word. It's not his will that any would perish. Don't lose heart. Yeah. Amen? 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 Yes. All right. <laughs> so talking about coming out of moving from in your house to outside your house, moving out, what was that transition like coming from the homes that you came from um, to being on your own and being in your own little world and um, figuring out life? What was that transition like? That's a great question. Um, when, I, when we fell in love in college and um, were engaged, and I took a job in Northfield, so just south of the cities. I was teaching sixth grade there. And I was thrilled to not have to have gone home to be a substitute teacher and live with my parents for this very thing. It was so painful to be around my mom and her alcoholism. So um, those first few months of having my own apartment, it felt fabulous, you know? And um, I was excited to get a paycheck and to learn how to put some money in the bank and buy groceries. We were, we were engaged at this time, mm -hmm. and I moved up. I finished my graduate degree <laughs> in Wisconsin, had no money, but mm -hmm. my rent was None, due. zero, zilch. But I had a girlfriend who was now my fiancé, mm -hmm. and I said, can I have $300? Because <laughs> I have no money and You guys, no that's, job. I saved, listen, I don't know what kind of jobs y'all have or whatever, where you're at, but having been a first semester teacher, I was able to, over six months, save $300. That's not a great, I mean, and you know. And she gave it all. And I stood outside the Northfield Bank and gave him three $100 bills, shaking and nervous to go, whoa, this is the I had rent. Re I was living with a friend of a friend <laughs> in his basement in St. Paul. And my rent was 250 <laughs> to rent a room. So I had enough money for some food. 50 bucks uh -huh. and rent for 250 and then I was oh my gosh. believing I was going to get a job. So That's love. But I've, been, she'd been pay, I've been paying her back ever since. Yeah, so. it worked yeah. out fine for me. But um, anyway, so um, to answer your question, what was it like to start off? It was exciting. It was new. Uh, we felt sort of free out of the funk of dysfunctional relationship and alcoholism. Um, and yet... Soon we came to realize that although we were physically separated, we hadn't been emotionally separated. Um, that the dysfunction, the web, if you will, of somebody having an addiction is far-reaching. And, uh, and it was hurtful still. So we began to learn that we had things to process. We got married, got our apartment in Burnsville. Um, what would you say? One, one thing after we got saved, I'll share a story, is in a way... She was like my savior, mm -hmm. and I, in a way, was her savior. Not literally like savior from sin, but savior from junk, savior from pain. And we, once we were saved, we came to realize we, each other was in the wrong spot. Yeah. God had to be first, and then our spouse, and then everything else. And so um, we were actually at a service once at, a, at a, another church, and it was, we were attending, at the time going to Cedar Valley, which was Bloomington Assembly back in the day. And um, they had a service, and we went forward for prayer, and I was bawling. You know that 
that past obnoxious cry when you're kind of snotting, you know, that kind of cry. Don't look like me that you've never done They've never done, done it. Okay. So I was, because we realized she's a great wife, but a bad Jesus, right? So yes. we needed to put the Lord first yes. and then each other second. So that mm -hmm. was a, because we were married for seven years before we got born again. Then once we became Christians, we're like, wow, we have to realign our thinking to mm -hmm. what God's plan is for marriage. Mm -hmm. So there was like a pattern. There was a pattern after going out of the house where it felt good for a moment. Right. And then as you moved into adulthood, getting married, that pendulum started to tip a little bit yes. to where the bending point, right? Mm -hmm. And then talk a little bit more about that, that night, that service where you guys felt that large, that change where mm -hmm. it tipped back. Yeah, and even before then, the we were just living what we thought was the American dream. Yeah. You know, so we... We both got a degree. We both got a second degree. We both got a car, got a better car, got a house. Got a dog. Got a job, got a dog. We're doing it all. Mm -hmm. And we're just kind of like living life. And Have you guys ever heard the expression double income, no kids, called dinks? No. Okay. Well, that in the, in the early 90s, that was a thing. Everybody was talking about being dinks. So if you had a husband, <laughs> I know, was that fun? A husband or a wife, and you both had jobs. So you had double income. You were childless. You were dubiously At the given time, the title I was working for Northwest dinks. Airlines, which was bought by Delta, and mm -hmm. I had free flight benefits. Yes. So I would literally, you know, call her and say, "Hey, do you want to go to St. Louis this weekend? Hey, let's go to California. We'll mm -hmm. Go to Florida. Super we fun. just were living this incredible. Can life be any better? I was teaching sixth grade in Lakeville. We built our little house and. The kids would line up on a Friday afternoon and say, Mrs. Peterson, where are you going this weekend? And I'd say, we're going to Disneyland or whatever. <laughs> and they'd all get jealous, and I'd laugh, and we'd see each other again. We Monday were living night. what any like American like mm -hmm. normal life, and we went to church. We attended a Lutheran church in, in Lakeville. I actually was on the, the board, the council. It's funny, the, I was the head of the evangelism committee, but I was not born again. But evangelism meant I was a friendly guy, and I would get to know your name and ask you for money. That's how, that's how that church <laughs> kind of ran that. But it, that's a, there's, a pro, there's a point there that the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. So even if they're already in you, and before you're saved, they're, they're, they want to come out. So they were already coming out before I was a Christian. But I think what, what ended up happening is as we went through our 20s and our late 20s, after the career was going the right way, after the home was going the right way, and all the things we were trying to achieve, the next thing we wanted to achieve, if you will, was having children. And that's when we um, struggled. We struggled with infertility. And that, that became a time of soul searching, a time of being very wounded. No one wants to talk about your sex life. No one wants to talk about being infertile. It's like a private, quiet thing. And everyone we knew was married and having children. My sister was having a baby, and my other, my, my brother is having a baby. And every, well, he didn't have the baby, his wife had the baby. That was a joke. <laughs> I need you to like, loosen up a little. Sorry. Um, so we were, we were really hurting and broken, and um, we had people that we were in f uh, fellowship with. Maybe you can just share about. And this was around your 30s when you, when yeah, you late were getting We were late 20s. Late 20s. Late 20s. Yeah, so we've kind of jumped around. I'm sorry if it's You're confusing. Good. But um, so, yes, we were trying to have a baby, and we were not having any success. And at that time, there were two women that I taught with who um, they, both of them and their husbands, and then Keith and I, were meeting on a monthly basis for what we called dinner club. 
and we'd get together with these couples and everybody would bring some dish to pass and we'd share and Keith and I were a little perplexed because these couples only listened to Christian music, which we didn't even know there was such a thing. And <laughs> um, we th I thought they were very weird. I mean, I, nice, they were, nice, they were, they were but very weird. kind and they were nice, uh -huh. but we drank at the time and they didn't drink right. and they only had Christian music and yeah. he didn't swear. They never swore. Like, I had a sailor's people? mouth. I'm just, telling you guys. You people are weird. Sorry. I, just, I used like, to be nervous that I would swear in front of my sixth graders. I would every day, I wouldn't pray, but I'd be like, dang, I can't swear today. I can't swear. <laughs> Help me not swear. Somebody tell me not to swear. Put a cork in my mouth. I mean, it was bad. I can't even, people don't even believe that because, I mean, that doesn't seem like me anymore. Hallelujah, God's done something. But hallelujah comes out of Hallelujah, the yeah, I'm the hallelujah praise lady. Praise the Lord, all of a sudden, a <laughs> praise the Lord slips out. She's like, oh, sorry, praise the Lord. Yeah. Hallelujah. Woo, yeah. sorry, there it goes again. Praise yeah. the Lord. Hallelujah. One of my friends, her name is Liz at church. We were sitting at a thing, and her daughter came up, and Liz started laughing. I said, what? She goes, my daughter just said, oh, mom, it's the hallelujah lady. <laughs> so that's, I've gone from being a dink and a swear, a sailor swear to, anyway, um, so the dinner club, so this was super cool. So this dinner club, we started to trust these people because they were so kind. Un, unlike anybody really we ever knew, and as strange as we thought they were, they were so kind and loved us We just couldn't figure them so out because well. they were like taking care of us and being nice to us beyond like what we deserved. Because I, I kind of grew up in a, hey, if I'm nice to you, you're nice to me, you know, or kind of that's how it works. But they yeah. just were sacrificially kind and generous and so go ahead they began the girls began to leave me scriptures on my desk because we dared to tell them about our infertility and um they began to leave me scriptures and i thought well these are nice you know and it was very kind and um offered to pray for us we were having dinner one night and keith shared oh sorry well go ahead go, no i was going to say about what john invited us to you can say that first. I don't know how much we should go into detail. Are you sure? Okay, you go ahead then. I was going to say then. So, so my brother, who's in Michigan, right? Sorry, who got saved and is now many years later living his Christian life, still praying for us. He knows of our heartache with infertility. And he says to Keith. Well, so oh. back up. <laughs> We're, we didn't can you, practice. Can you tell we practice. It's, it, well, well, Willie, when you, there's so many details. Right. I'm just encouraging you. When, yes. you're, when you're in your 50s and you look back at your life, mm -hmm. you're going to see God moments where he orchestrated things that you don't even understand now. Mm -hmm. But when you look back mm -hmm. a decade later, you're going to go, wow, that was God mm -hmm. working on that relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's why we're, there's so much to share and we're only going to be here till midnight. <laughs> Sorry. Another <laughs> um, joke. I had, my, my brother got saved and started to witness to me and then her brother, John, who played football at Michigan, then played for the Packers for 12 years. He was like my hero figure. And he was pointing, they both were pointing me to Jesus. And he invited me to this thing that was popular in the 90s called the Promise Keeper Movement. It was a big men's event. Maybe, maybe some of your dads went to that. And, you know, filled up the Metrodome with... 60,000 men praying. And, and again, I, I went to a church where nobody raised their hands. I thought they had questions. I'm like, you have questions down there? What's up? You know, I, I'm like, what's up with the raise? You know, but I, we were, I'm like, out of respect for him, I'll go to this event. Mm -hmm. And I was like intrigued and kind of like not really sure at the same time. But so we were being more and more open to God moving in our life. We didn't know at the time that's what he was doing, but that's what God was doing. Mm -hmm. 
So I was going to share how at one of our dinner club parties, um, we talked about the infertility, and one of the men asked the host, do you have a Bible? And the host went and got a Bible. And it was that night that Dean read Psalm, can I say this? Psalm 139 over Keith, which speaks to God knowing him and having woven him together in his mother's womb. And you see, the, I'll just be very honest, is when people talk about infertility, I think it's the wife's body that's the challenge, and it was my body. And so I played football for the Badgers. I'm a big guy. All my identity was tied in my size, my masculine voice, my hairy chest. Sorry, I'm not trying to grow a shell, but all of my identity <laughs> yeah. was based on my outward, yeah. who am I physically, mm -hmm. And then to have, I'm like, and, and I'm sorry, everything seemed to be working. Um, it was an, it's a beautiful gift in marriage. Yeah. That's another sidebar to share. Sex, God's not ashamed. He invented it. And it's mm -hmm. a beautiful, mm -hmm. wonderful thing in marriage. And we are enjoying this beautiful, wonderful thing in marriage. But it wasn't working. Mm -hmm. And it was my body. And I was wrecked. I was, I was wrecked. I remember in our uh, living room, um, we had these white leather, not leather, white couches, pounding on them. Where are you, God? If you're really real, show up. It just completely rocked. And then this guy who was this weird guy, Dean. Teacher, husband. Teacher, husband mm -hmm. guy starts praying over me. Do you ever have one of those moments where God's starting to move on you and you mm -hmm. want to run, but you want to stay, but you want to run, but yeah. you want to stay? Yeah. So, if you have that right now, don't leave, okay? It's, you know, because the, I had never experienced the presence of God. That was my, in my life, the first time I can remember experiencing the presence of God. Mm -hmm. This guy, I had never had anybody pray unless they read the prayer. And we all said, hear our prayer, kind of a thing. And so this man was praying just from his heart over me and reading the word of God over me. And I just wept. I just cried, and that's what I believe started the healing process for me around my identity um, being made and who God made me to be and not what I thought my identity would be. Yeah, yeah. before we keep going, if for anybody in the room that maybe isn't in a life group or dinner club, something like that, what would your, obviously this story has a large impact, what would you say to that person um, that might like, I just don't know if I should go. I'm kind of busy on Thursday nights. I have homework to do. I have other friends to hang out. What would your encouragement be aside from that story but in with that? Yeah, I, I, would, I would say the Bible says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good character. So if you're hanging out with people that aren't doing the right things, if you hang out at a bonfire, you're going to smell like smoke, right? So the first thing is get around the right friends. And then secondly, hang out with the right friends that are doing the right things. Because it's, and again, you should go do fun, healthy things with friends. That's important. But then do healthy, life-giving things in a life group where you're actually talking about things that really matter. Yeah. Yeah. So we're not distracted by our phone and by whatever thing else is going on. There's, there's nothing like fellowship. There's a, a pastor that, well, actually, Aaron Topp, who's the pastor here, he was at a men's conference once, and he shared this with me. It was a pastor that was retiring, had kind of finished well, was kind of done with his course, and they were asking him, you know, what are some things you did that helped you stay faithful to your wife, to lead a good life, to lead, a, you know, a healthy life? 
and he said two things were top. I read the Bible every day, and I was in fellowship with people my age all the time. So it's just, it's the most life-giving thing. Because sometimes you show up and someone else is there for you. Yeah. And sometimes you show up and you're there for someone else. Yeah. So if you just come expecting, there might be someone else in the room with something from the Lord to give to you, or you might be the one carrying something from the Lord to give to someone else. And that's exciting when, when someone else is ministering to you or you're, or you're the one chosen by God to minister to someone else. There's nothing more exciting than that. Yeah. I would just tack on to that, the thought, just to consider things with this paradigm or through this lens. Why would you risk missing being a part of what God wants to do in you or through you, as Keith just said? That's just a whole different way to live life, really. And I'm not talking about being, you know, having a checklist and attending everything and getting crazy that way. But if he's stirring in you about a particular life group or if he's encouraging you or you've had the same person invite you numerous times, maybe he's trying to say, I've got something I don't want you to miss. The other thing I would say is we believe that your resource is in your relationships. So oftentimes the person next to you has the connection or a family member or someone in a network that you need to meet to help you. I've had multiple times in my life groups, I lead a, a, a promise principle group at my house on Friday mornings at 6.30. You're all welcome to come, men, if you wanna. <laughs> that was, sorry. Um, but there's been times, you know, part of that is we shared visions and dreams and then someone else in that room had a connection for me to help start, step yeah. forward in that dream. Yeah. So you just never know what someone else next to you has that's gonna help you with your own journey. Yeah, that's great. So, um, Kristen, you had mentioned earlier um, about growing up uh, with the loss of your dad mm -hmm. and then Keith talking about um, battles of the but both of you losing um, babies and battling through that. What was the grief? You talked a little bit about banging on the couch and what was the grieving process like, obviously, before you came to Christ um, and mm -hmm. what was that process like grieving for those losses? and how to deal with, how you dealt with that and what you learned from it. You mean the death of my father first? Yeah, sure, start with it, yeah. Well, I will say this, I've been actually, it's interesting that you bring that up because I was thinking the other day about the significance of my having been one who kept a diary. I don't even know why, I guess I probably thought it was cool as a little girl to have a diary and it came with a little key and all of that. But I, the point is that I, I processed my emotions by writing what I was thinking about. And despite the fact that I didn't know how to talk to the Lord, I still think that there's a benefit to a person giving him or herself freedom to feel and freedom to think about it and to communicate it. So while you could say, well, what good is it to write it on a piece of paper? Nobody saw it. Nobody gave you counsel. It was getting rid of things that were potentially going to hurt me if I didn't um, release them. So, so I just think, I always ex I encourage people to, to journal, to write down prayers if they are saved, um, but it, just to communicate how they're feeling or what they're thinking about. Um, the, the grief... So I, I, I processed a lot about my father's passing that way. Um, I remember having close friends to talk to and confide in as well. Um, my mom would 
intentionally asked me to talk about memories of my father and to keep those things alive. And I think that was very helpful also because I do have, even though I was a little girl when he died, I have some very profound memories of my dad. And I would share with you one of them. The Lord has brought back to me over and over as a means of teaching me about his love, about God's love. Um, my parents were close friends with a couple who had a, a swimming pool, and we would often go after my dad played softball, the whole team and all the children would go to the pool, and it was so much fun. And of course, the worst thing that you hear as a little kid is time to go. <laughs> and you drag yourself out of the pool, but the, the sweet part of that was that it meant my dad was waiting for me with the beach towel. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> dripping wet, I'd get out of that water and run to him, and he'd wrap his towel around me and hold me so close. And there are times where God reminds me of that as a means of saying, that love was a demonstration of my love for you. So, um, in grieving our infertility situation and the fact that, you know, the biological children would not be part of our story, um, I, you know, being still not saved when that diagnosis was given to us, I guess I processed the same way that I did as a little girl. I journaled and I talked to people that would listen. We went to support groups. There are infertility support groups all in different hospitals throughout the cities and stuff. But um, what was so beautiful in stepping into a relationship with the Lord was that rather than mourn the past, God began to build a dream for a future in our hearts. And we could then begin to question, Lord, what do you have for us? You know, what is your plan? And that's when life got really exciting. I'll just add on to part of the story is we got we got saved in, in the Friday after Thanksgiving in 1994, 95, 95. And um, so we had this this dinner club group turned into a Bible study. They said, "Hey, would you want to come to our house every Sunday and read the Book of John?" And I'm like, "Every week." You know, that was my, sorry. Yeah, no. And then the guy's like, I need you to read one chapter the whole week. I'm like, a whole chapter in a week? Sorry, that's, I just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and so I did it, and um, we ended up, I'm going to tell the Christmas tree story real quick. So we were, has anybody heard of the singing Christmas tree, what they used to do in Assembly of God churches? Okay, mm-hmm. you are young. Okay, someone, okay, <laughs> maybe your parents. Um, we, were, we were studying the book of John, and this friend, Dean, said, hey, we're going to invite you to our church for our Christmas program. And it's the singing Christmas tree. And they basically had a tree that would go all the way up to the ceiling. And people would climb into it. And the choir would sing from the tree. It was kind of <laughs> cheesy, but cool. And so, But that was cool in the 90s, OK? And so anyway, we were going to go to that, that concert. And, but he said, well, let's get to the church early because it's not assigned seating and we'll just continue our, we'll just do our Bible study half hour before and then we'll stop and then we'll be ready because we'll have good seats. I said, okay, that's fine. So we get there and we're sitting in the pews of this church and it's quiet. We're like the first people in the room and we're studying the book of John and we're in John chapter 9. And in John chapter 9, it's a study, of the, the first part of it's about the man that's born blind and he's saying, well, what do I do to deserve to be blind or what do my parents do? 
And he's kind of like figuring out, why did this happen? And I was like, yeah, why, why am I infertile? What's wrong with my body? Why did this happen? And then it goes on to say, this happened so that this man, the glory of God, could be shown through him. And I'm thinking, wow, God, you're going to use this situation, my issue and my body, what's wrong with me, to show your, glo- your glory in the earth. Yeah. So yeah. I, I was born again you know, a week before in the Friday after Thanksgiving, and then a week later or so we're at this Christmas pageant, I'm being set free from the hurt of the identity tied to infertility. So my yeah. life was being totally rocked. So then the, this almost feels like a bad movie. but Good movie. It's a good movie, but it seems like this couldn't have been orchestrated by anybody but God. The, the lights go down, and then this choir members walk into this magical tree, and they start singing these hymns, and I'm like, I'm in heaven. You know, and I'm bawling, and I'm being healed. And then explain quickly what the play was about. So we thought, because it's just the Christmas production, that there would be a manger and a baby Jesus in the you know, crash or whatever and the donkey. None of that. Instead, on one side of the stage, there was a young couple. And they were holding hands and they were very sad. And they were asking God, please, we want to have a family. God, we want to be a mom and a dad. Mm. And the lights dimmed and then the tree sang and we're like what and then the lights dimmed on the tree and then over here was a young woman sitting on a park bench waiting for a bus this is all this drama right and she's got a pregnant belly and she says lord she's praying i did not expect to be pregnant what is your plan for this baby and that light dims, and we're like, what kind of Christmas production is this? And then the tree sings, and then over here, this couple, you know, one thing leads to another, and the couple decides maybe they should adopt a baby, and the girl decides she's going to place her child for adoption. And the last scene of this Christmas production is the, the baby's been born, and the young lady in the hospital bed is handing her child to this couple. And so Keith and I drove home saying... I said, I'm not very bright, but but maybe God's (laughs) telling us we should consider adoption. Yes. So literally, that was in December, and then August, we held our baby. We adopted a baby. So nine, we believe... Nine months later. We believe we were spiritually pregnant, Mm -hmm. if I can say it that way, in Mm -hmm. December, and then nine months later, we had a baby Mm -hmm. in our arms. So God God was working our story for his glory. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, One clap. No, um, the Bible talks about... It's worth a lot of claps, but go ahead. <laughs> no, no cause kidding. Because God, God gets the glory, and there's so many, we don't have time to tell all this no. story. Well, actually, we should tell... Okay, so can... No, I was just going to say how the Bible talks about those that persevere through a time of famine, God will bring a large harvest. Amen. And specifically prevalent in your guys' life. Right. And through this story of adoption. And feel free, go ahead. About well, okay, so what I wanted to share was, in light of the John 9 thing about this has happened so that the glory of God could be on display. So that's awesome that Noah was born and we had our dream come true. He's such a treasure. A few months later, the pastor of that church asked if we would share our testimony on Sanctity of Life Sunday. And we thought it would be like the missionary five spot, you know, where the pastor holds the microphone. 
Yep. And then he's like, one banana, two <laughs> banana. He takes the microphone back, and the guy gets off the stage. Yep. He's like, no, you guys just preach for 40 minutes. We're like, wow. Just tell your story. We've never done anything like that. So, so it was super, super awesome because in the midst of the whole story, then we touch on the pain of infertility. We touched on the dream of a baby. We talk about um, what it took to orchestrate all the details so that our baby could be given to us and all of this. And afterwards, the time of ministry was very powerful. People that had been adopted came running to the altar for prayer to say, with tears, saying, I never would have ever imagined that I was so wanted by my adoptive parents. And couples came forward um, who were infertile saying, Lord, will you mend our hearts the way that you've mended Keith and Kristen's hearts? And others that had had abortions came forward to repent and ask God's forgiveness, not knowing that the baby that they had not expected to you know, have as a pregnancy could have been someone's dream come true. All sorts of ministry. And do you know Pastor Allen in Woodbury? You know Pastor Allen? You guys know Pastor Allen? He was actually a college student in that audience. And he would tell you if he was sitting here that there were some elements of the story that ministered so profoundly to his heart. He came forward for prayer. And he would tell you that it was large part because of that whole night or day in his life that he is a pastor today. So for the glory of the Lord, I mean, I just, that to me is incredible that we get to know him and know so, how the Lord is so written jump part onto of that, his story. We, pain is part of our experience a big in this part. world. Yes. And I wish you could say, well, yes. you become a Christian, you swallow the magic with no more trials, right. no more tribulation. Yeah. But Jesus said, you're going to have issues, right. you're going to have trials. He's right. honest. But with him, you can overcome them. And there's something profound that happens in your story when you give mm-hmm. him your pain. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard it sounds silly, but your, your mess becomes your message. Mm-hmm. It sounds kind of corny to say that, but it's true. And so all of us, I would imagine, are from messy circumstances. There's no perfect family, no perfect mom, perfect dad. Um, even Christian, you know, even us, we've made mistakes. You know, mm-hmm. uh, me more than her, but we've all we've all oh, made mistakes, lots. and so I just encourage you if you're in a time of pain right now, just God, what are you going to do with this? Yes. How can you redeem this? How can you get glory out of this? Yeah. You know, what new dream are you going to birth in the midst of my pain? Yeah. yeah, that's true because really the the dream of beginning a family, see that was going on in tandem with dealing with the dysfunction of alcoholic parents. And phone calls where we'd hang up crying and sobbing because our parents didn't understand us or because they were falsely accusing us of things. Or, I mean, so we can't throw it all out, you know, and say life is awful. There's some tough stuff, but in the meantime, God can be doing good in a different area of our lives. One of the challenges I worked through after I became a Christian with my parents was well, God, your, your word says I'm supposed to honor my parents. Mm-hmm. How do I do that when they've done these not-so-nice things? Yeah. You know, and so he'll show you how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, can I say how, something about that? I just, one thing that God taught me, because it was, it was rocky when, when we got married with Keith's parents. His mother did not like me at all. Or if she did, she really hit it. <laughs> I don't know why anybody would want to do that, but I mean, so I'm just going to say she didn't like me. And so um, it seemed like no matter what I tried, 
there was just a wall thrown in, in my face. And, and to what Keith was saying about how do I honor her? I want to obey your word, God. I want to submit my heart to what you say is right. And you know what he told me? He said, you can begin here. Honor her because she gave birth to your husband. Take away the horrible phone call. Take away the unkind words spoken. Take away everything that hurts about your relationship. Her name was Muriel, with Muriel. And let me just point out one important thing. She gave birth, she gave life to Keith, who is now your soulmate, the one I've destined you for. So I just want to say that to you, too. Sometimes when we feel like it's so futile to go, but there's nothing salvageable, there's nothing good about this relationship or whatever. How can I possibly walk in love with this person? God will show you if you ask him. The other thing he showed me was my parents weren't saved. I mean, so here you have these mom and dad. They're doing the best they can. They don't know God. And now I look back from a godly view to say, what's wrong with these people? Well, they didn't know Jesus. So I, all of a sudden I had more compassion than I looked at. Well, look at grandma and grandpa. They're weird too. <laughs> so no wonder my dad's acting that way or my mom's acting that way because it's this kind of iniquity is passed from generation to generation until someone becomes a Christian and then draws a line and says, that's it. We're not living like that anymore. Mm -hmm. So then I could look back, not just with anger, but with more compassion to say, wow, how did you grow up, Mom? It just kind of flipped. But I had to stop being angry all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And you guys told the story about your first child, Noah, but you guys have three kids that you adopted, Noah, Sam, and Emma. Incredible people, huge purpose on their life. What was coming full circle now... You guys kind of spoke a little bit on it, but growing up with parents in a dysfunctional home, learning from that, and then being parents of your own kids, what were things that you saw? What were things that you could greater relate to with your kids um, um, in that aspect? Well, I, I would share the first thing was the how to parent, how to be married, we just, what does the Bible say? Yeah. So that was the first, you know, the first, when I first got married, my dad had some really good qualities. Don't, I don't want you to hear that he had no good quality. He had some really good qualities. So, but when I got married and then became a Christian, you know, seven years later, God said, now, how would Jesus treat your wife? It just versus how does my, how did my dad, so it just kind of changed how I wanted to be a husband and then how to parent was based on the word of God. And that's not how it was in my home before. Well, and I think that's just a healthy perspective for all of us as believers to say, not how can I walk in what my mom or my dad walked in, but how can I be more like Jesus? That's just the right frame of mind. Because Sure, and what, what, I, what I wrestled with was so many things are taught and many things are caught. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. So you're that's in a true. home... Sometimes things are specifically taught to you, mm-hmm. but oftentimes just by being around someone, you kind of catch how they act. Mm-hmm. So my dad was a yeller, mm-hmm. and so when we first were married, mm-hmm. I was a yeller. Mm-hmm. And so, and then he would yell, and then she'd yell louder, and then he'd yell, and then she'd yell louder, and, and that's just kind of what you did. So when we first were married, I'll never forget in our first house, and uh, we, had, we were having a discussion, and 
she made a point, and then I made a bigger point and a louder point, and I got bigger. And she literally like curled up into a fetal position in the corner of the room, and I thought, this is not working. Because I grew up with a yelling, loud, verbal, that's how you talked. So I had to relearn how can I communicate in a way that she can actually receive it. You know, so yeah. that's, that was part of my changing process was I can't just act like I did when I was growing up. Yeah. I think um, the way that the Lord led me to forgive my mom, um, to issue grace, and um, recognize what agape love really is, it's unconditional. Mm-hmm. So to be a grammar teacher, if it's unconditional, that means it's not conditioned on anything, <laughs> right? That's deep. I mean, it's not, it is, there's, there's, it's a choice. Yeah. And I chose to step over my want to harbor resentment and to let go of my offense against my mom for the pain that she had um, given to me. And it was certainly a process, but I think in learning that process, kind of practicing, if you will, and and finding freedom through forgiving my mom, it made parenting our children um, maybe easier, or at least I was equipped. I guess I wouldn't say it's easy ever to forgive someone or to overlook things that you don't want to have to deal with or, you know, exercise grace. But the more you do it, the more it becomes part of how you flow and how you operate. So um, forgiveness is a really big deal. Yeah, I think it's... It's like you're carrying around this big weight of mm-hmm. the junk from your past mm-hmm. and trying to go to school, trying to do your job, trying to hang out with friends, and yep. you've got this backpack yep. full of all the junk from your past. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what's all that? Well, that's my anger, and that's my, um, it's my list of crap that they did, and these are the words they said. You know, I'll be honest, the, some of the words people speak over us, especially our parents, are the most hurtful. And also, I don't know what you guys grew up with, but if you had words spoken over you that were damaging, they're, they're probably still stinging, yeah. you know? And so it's like letting go of that and, and filling in your mind and your heart with, well, what does God say about me? Who does he say I am? You know, what's my identity in him versus what a parent or a parent figure said over you? It was, it was part of a process of, of shifting my thinking to what God says about me and not maybe what my parents said about me. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, so now we're going to open it up. Is there any questions you guys have for Keith and Kristen? Um, anything that touched you that you felt like you wanted to ask more about or uh, you don't have to raise your hand? That's right, too. But uh, no, so... We ke- love a question. <laughs> We're recording, so just in case. <laughs> My question is um, to expand on forgiveness. Was there a moment, like once you started, or once you were saved, if there was a moment that you were like, in my heart, here's some unforgiveness that I'm finding. Was it a moment, was it like several things that you are like, maybe I'm bitter about this. You know what I'm saying? Of um, how you kind of started the forgiveness process. Maybe like beginning to end quick, or just beginning, or... Okay, well... What comes to mind right off the bat is something that I share at the Freedom Encounter. So if you happen to go, it's in April, please sign up. Um, You'll hear this a second time. But um, I was reading through 
uh, the Bible, and I can't remember now which gospel exactly, but Jesus is saying what we now refer to as the Lord's Prayer. And he says, forgive us our debts. Do you guys know it? As we forgive those who debt against us or however trespass against us. Um, And forgives our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And I got to thinking about that and talking to the Lord. And what I came to realize is that that statement is saying, Lord, forgive me to the same degree that I forgive others. And something snapped in me to go, ooh, because I realized that I had unforgiveness toward my mom. And if I want to pray this prayer to say, Lord, forgive me, just like I forgive my mom, then essentially I'm saying, Lord, you don't have to forgive me at all. You know what I mean? So that was the beginning of my realization that things were out of order. And so then it became little by little, Lord, how do I do this? How do I let go? How do I release what has been so, so tightly held in my grasp? the hurt and the pain and the horrible memories and the disappointments. And again, just little by little, he helped me. And I would, you know, sometimes we have to start to speak something and meditate on it, and our feelings catch up. We are children who are to walk by faith. And when we step out by faith, just based on the, not just, based on the authenticity of God's word, our feelings do in time, catch up to those steps of faith. I hope you've experienced that in your life, where it doesn't seem like it's going to help, but you begin to confess what God says anyway, because you love him, and you trust that his word is real, and it's powerful, and it's alive. And so I began to say out of my mouth, I release my hurt to you, Lord. I put it at the foot of the cross. I trust you to heal my heart. I thank you, Lord, that my mom didn't try to hurt me. I have to believe the best about my mother, these sorts of things. And the more I said that in my quiet time with him, the more I believed it to be true, the freer I got. And so little by little, I mean, there wasn't a boom, you know, five easy easy steps or anything. But I'll add on to that. For me, the... I had, my brother was, he had gone through the process ahead of me and he had said, Keith, you got to let it go. Because it got to the point where I would like have to give her a signal, like I can't be here anymore. I would like take my ring off and that was a signal, you know, pretend one of us is sick so we can just leave here. Oh, sorry, mom, I got to go kind of a thing. And so he was encouraging me to forgive, you know, and just let it go. And I was actually at a, a, a church service and someone was teaching on forgiveness and then they said, okay, we're just going to have a quiet time. Ask the Lord quietly in your heart who he wants you to forgive. And, of course, my parents came to mind. And you ever, like, hear from the Lord and you think it's the wrong answer, so you, like, try to go another channel? Am I the only one that's like, oh, yeah. wrong answer. Yeah. Let me forgive my neighbor. He's easy. You know, not my parents. That's too hard. Yeah. And so, and then he, and I just was battling with him, you know, like, I don't want to do this. This is bad. And God, and I, was anybody else negotiate with God? Like, yep. Yep. tomorrow, next week, <laughs> not right now, I'm too busy, or yeah. you don't know what they did. And then I had my list of all the, you know, the grievances, because I kind of would rehearse and nurse all my past problems. And then, and then he said, okay, I'm taking up a notch. I want you to write him a love letter. And I was like, are you kidding me? This is, you're asking, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm debating again. Like, you're asking too much, God. I don't even like him. 
Now you want me to ask me to write him a love letter? This is, I was just really angry with God because of the nerve of him to ask me to forgive my parents. I was like mad. But see, he wanted me to forgive my parents, not for them, but for me. You know, because I'm the one that was holding the bitterness. I was the one drinking the poison of, of unforgiveness. So long story short, I did write them a letter, but only when I asked God and said, God, okay, I'll do this, but I can't without your help. I, I had to say, I don't, I don't want to do this. Help me, God. And that brought kind of a, a step of reconciliation. And I, I can share to the glory of God, I ended up leading my parents to the Lord about 18 months later. Yeah. Because that me letting go of that unforgiveness opened up a whole other type of conversation with my parents that was shut down before. Here I was, someone that knew Jesus, was born again, was spirit-filled, and angry at my parents. God's like, you need to let go. And as soon as you let go of that, the relationship will be different. And that's what ended up happening. So yeah. it really is a process. Yeah, that's awesome. And before we go into worship, just maybe in like... 90 seconds, two minutes. Would you just give us, obviously we're all going in the Christmas season. We are around family. Some of us maybe not around family. Some in good situations, some in bad situations. Um, what would your encouragement be to all of us in the room being around family and engaging with that um, no matter what the circumstances are? Um, just speak a little bit towards that. First of all, it's important that you pray before you go into whatever the environment is, healthy or dysfunctional. Yeah. It's important that you pray and you, and you ask the Lord for his lead and incline your ear to his prompts while you're with these people. Um, I would also encourage you to consider yourself a carrier of his love and light mm -hmm. and to consider what he wants to do through you whether he wants you to speak a word of encouragement or offer someone a hug, just smile at them. You might be to them what Dean and Cheryl and Jeff and Laura were to us, yeah. people that are so kind, we couldn't make any sense of it. People that didn't get into an argument, they didn't want to you know, negotiate back and forth and get into things that really are petty and insignificant, but they were there to love us. And so that would be my encouragement. That's great. Mm -hmm. I would just add to that practice wisdom. I mean, if it's an abusive situation, you know, you just really need to follow, follow wisdom. The other is I would, again, saying the prayer, going, go in filled up. You know, we're supposed to yeah. be perpetually filled with the Holy Spirit. So go in overflowing with the Holy Spirit. So when someone bumps into you the wrong way, if you will, nothing but God falls out. Well, that only happens when you're in quiet time, when you're seeking the Lord, when you're reading the Word, when you're praying in the Holy Spirit. So just be overfilled with the Holy Spirit so when you go through that tough time, only God's going to come out, not something else. Can I say one other thing, too? Yes. I just want to share, because I know you're, you're single. Is everyone in this room single? Most everybody. Most, okay. Yeah. So I, I just want to encourage you that single doesn't mean without a girlfriend or boyfriend. Single means unique, complete, and whole. So I'm, just, I'm speaking to identity. So if you, if you see yourself as single, meaning I'm missing someone, you're seeing it the wrong way. Single means unique and complete and whole. And I just encourage you to embrace your singleness because that means you're embracing your wholeness in who God made you to be. Because God wants to hold people 
to come together to become one, yeah. not two broken people. Wow. So right now you're on a journey to become a whole single person. So when you as a whole single person meet the other whole single person, something incredible will happen. So I just don't want you to think that single means I'm missing something. Single means I'm in the process of becoming whole in God. What a reminder from Keith and Kristen, such an amazing testimony and story of how God has redeemed them and used them in amazing ways, not just in our church, but in so many different settings. Uh, As a reminder, we'll be uh, sharing the stories of Daryl Lee and Pat Utek, as well as Pastor Alan Passion at a later time, so make sure to come back and hear those. Hope you have an amazing week. We'll see you back next time.